Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Perkins Platform. Uh, we're here in January with a, uh, another very interesting show uh, lined up for you. We um, have as our invited guest uh, Dr. Joshua Starr, who is the superintendent um, of schools in Montgomery County. Uh, Dr. Starr is actually was called this morning um, uh, to testify before the governor uh, in Annapolis, and so we're hoping he's going to be able to join us, but um, we have uh, in his stead uh, the deputy superintendent, uh, Dr. Beth Narvez. Beth, welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here. And um, our our topic today in the show on the show is um, about um, standardized testing and uh, a rather controversial um, uh, position that your superintendent has taken. And we're going to get there. But I I'd like to start by just asking you to bring our uh, listeners up to speed um on the um um Montgomery County and your district tell us a little bit about your demographics and what i have read about the shifting demographics and shifting population there um so can you tell us a little bit about uh, Montgomery County absolutely and and you're right um we are an increasingly diverse system uh we have nearly 149,000 students in Montgomery County in 202 schools we're the largest school system in Maryland, uh, the 17th largest school system in the United States. Uh, we have students that come from over 164 countries, um, and our demographics, again, reflect um, a very diverse population of students. We're 33% white, 22% African American, 26% Latino, Fourteen uh, percent Asian, um, and so that, that's a little bit about us. A, a very large um, and diverse school system that has been recognized um, for success in terms of student performance um, and graduation. And so we're we're very proud um, of the work that has been done in Montgomery County. Well, good. And and one of the things that I. I also noticed you 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 mentioned about the changing demographics um what what tell us a little bit about what's happening um in your system with regard to um um if you will call it urban sprawl I know Montgomery County is a pretty large district. I mean, you just mentioned over 100,000 students, close to 150,000 students. Um, but as uh, D.C. grows and expands and people move out, uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, the effect that you're seeing in Montgomery County and, and how that is changing, if at all, changing um, your schools? Yes. Um, yeah, people think about Montgomery County as um, an affluent suburb of Washington, D.C., but we have uh, very different types of neighborhoods that uh, and uh, towns and cities that make up our county. We're over 500 square miles, so it's a very large county. And um, over a third of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch. And when you look at the number of students um, living in poverty in our system, it's more than the total number of students in D.C. public schools. Mm. Again, people think of us as just affluent, but really um, we just have a, a diversity in every sense of the word. Uh, sure. 
of you know race and ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic status. Um, we have an increasing number of students that um, speak English as a second language as well. Nearly 13% of our students um, participate in ESOL or English for Speakers of Other Languages in our system. And again, we see that continue to increase, um, as well as our enrollment. Um, our enrollment has gone up every year over the past decade, and we project to increase again by 2,000 students in the coming school year. So just a growing school system, again, increasingly diverse, and that's been a trend for the past decade or more in the system. Sure, sure. Um, to our, call, our listeners, we uh, you've turned in uh, to the Perkins platform, and uh, we are a forum on educational leadership issues. We have uh, Dr. Beth Narvez sitting with us today, uh, uh, substituting for Dr. Joshua Starr, superintendent of Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland. Um, we will start taking calls towards the end of the show um, at about 2.20. Uh, for those of you who want to call in, um, get your pens ready. You can call in at 347-826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. Um, the, the, uh, this month, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, the somewhat controversial stance that the superintendent has recently taken about um, the um, um, standardized testing. Um, we, we don't have many people who are in the roles of superintendents who are willing to stand up and say, okay, we're going to stop this for now until we can get some things in place, and then we'll start testing. Um, so I want to ask you if you could give us a little bit of the history behind um, how um, this came to be and, and, and some of the politics that have come into play around um, uh, the proposal to put a moratorium for three years, as I understand it, um, on standardized testing in your district. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so it starts with the fact that the educational landscape has changed. So with the adoption of the Common Core State Standards, and there are more than 40 states across the country who have adopted these standards now, Maryland is one of those states, um, we are being asked to do um, things differently. Um, these standards are more rigorous than the standards we've had in place. Um, you know, so what we expect our students to know and be able to do is going to change. That means that our teaching practices are going to have to change as well. Um, at the same time, Race to the Top um, has been driving a lot of these changes, particularly with teacher and principal evaluation systems. Again, Maryland was awarded um, race to the top funds from the federal government. Montgomery County um, did not apply for those funds because we um, feel that we have a, a strong professional growth uh, system in place, an evaluation system that's been na nationally recognized, and we feared that accepting the funds uh, may jeopardize uh, our our system, however, um, as part of getting race to the top funding, states have had to change uh, their legislation and their law, and so we're finding that we will uh, still have to make some changes to our system, our uh, professional growth system, even though we did not accept the race to the top funds. So with the change in standards of what we expect our kids to know and be able to do, and going along with 
the common core standards are what's known as the PARC assessment, so a brand new assessment system that is moving away from um, our traditional standardized testing uh, regimes of where we have a lot of multiple choice items. These, these new assessments, which again aren't fully crafted yet, you know, we, we don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but we understand that they're going to be more demanding kind of performance tasks for students. So with the Common Core State Standards, the PARC assessments on the horizon and having to revamp um, some parts of our teacher and principal evaluation systems, we're being asked to do a lot at once. And so part of our uh, superintendent's call for a three-year moratorium on standardized testing acknowledges we're kind of in, in between these two worlds now, right? We still have the current standardized tests and are expect to um, be accountable for performance on those tests. But at the same time, we're trying to prepare people for a whole new set of standards, a new set of assessments, a new way um, that they are going to be assessed in terms of their performance. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. so the three-year moratorium would give us time to learn um, these new skills um, so that we can effectively implement them, understand what it takes for the adults in our system, how we need to change practice so that our kids can ultimately be successful. Um, but I want to be clear. Our superintendent is not against accountability um, or standardized tests, but has made this call for the moratorium so that we can prepare for the new landscape, for what our kids need to know and be able to do now in the 21st century. Sure. You, you raised a few really um, important points about uh, the rationale. And in fact, um, just this past, so the past two weeks, I've been hosting a discussion on um, ETS, the Education Testing Service, has a affinity group uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and I've been uh, facilitating this discussion, and Dr. Uh, Barbara McCombs at the University of, uh, who, of Denver, who is a senior research scientist, uh, wrote this uh, in response to um, the the show and uh, asked them uh, what are the implications for the decision, uh, even though the district is committed to a plethora of other tests as described in the the release. And she wrote, the position of the superintendent is consistent with the research base as shown by the Center for Effective Teaching and their Time to Teach program, now in great demand for this reason. Teachers need more time to collaborate, whether it is on developing their own assessments or working with a collaborative research team to do a scientifically valid set of 360-type assessments. Uh, this is a complex system issue and no one can see the forest for the trees in the current federal government. Um, it, it's, it's interesting, and I, I want to get your response to that, um, but it's just interesting that um, it, it makes a lot of sense, um, what you're saying, and, and certainly is supported in terms of the research. Um, and, but, but a lot of times people don't listen to that. What, what do you think about that? I think you pointed to a couple of really compelling um, things that we're trying to work through as a system. And again, um, it, it's part of the rationale for our superintendent's call for the moratorium. So um, the research uh, that you cited uh, notes the complexity of this work um, and the need for people to collaborate. And it, it takes time for people to learn something new 
um, and especially to learn how to change their practice. I mean, think about if you want to learn something new or you want to learn some new habits. It just doesn't happen overnight. You can't mandate the kinds of changes that are uh, that are coming about. Um, and, and also, we know that for our students to be successful these days, it's not enough for them to be academically successful. It's necessary, but not sufficient, right? So we still want them to do well academically, and it is still a key part of our work, and we want to be held accountable for our students' academic success. But we also know for our students to be successful once they graduate with us um, and they go out into the world of college and career, for them to be successful and happy and healthy, besides that academic foundation, they also need to be successful in what we call 21st century skills. Are they good problem solvers? Can they collaborate with colleagues? These are things that that businesses and people in the workforce tell us they need from people. Um, are they able to think critically about things? There's so much information in the world. How are they able to analyze and make sense of this information? How are they innovative? And also we know um, it is increasingly important to pay attention to the social-emotional learning of students as well. Um, so how do they persevere? Um, how uh, do they have what's known uh, as, as grit, right? Do they have these habits of mind and these skills in addition to the academic knowledge um, and those deep ways of thinking and problem solving and working with others? And so, again, it's another reason that our superintendent has called for the moratorium in our system. We are uh, renovating our strategic plan, and we're saying, okay, we know these new assessments and new standards are coming. What does that mean for us to, our students to be academically successful? But what are some measures to know that our students are successful with these 21st century skills? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How will we know that they have strong social-emotional competencies? And so these things don't have easy measures attached to them, um, just like previous standardized tests. So it's going to be complex work, again, that requires the best thinking and collaboration, again, as the research you shared pointed out, um, and this great thinking for us to figure it out. And so we need the time and space to focus on what, what this means for our kids and then what this means for our adults. What will they need to know and be able to do in order to help our students be successful across those three competencies. Sure, sure, absolutely. And um, I have a call that just came in, and I'm going to go ahead and take it. Um, uh, my listeners, uh, feel free to call in, uh, 347-826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. And um, I have another comment that I'm going to share after our call. Um, this caller uh, is from 303 Area Code. Um, please uh, state your question or comment. Caller, are you there? Caller, 303 Area Code. 
Okay. Uh, they're not there. We'll uh, ask them to call back in. Um, I'll jump right into another um, uh, comment that was posted uh, about the moratorium and the issue of moratorium. Uh, here's a, uh, another researcher who wrote, um, here are some clear advantages of a moratorium, which of course will not occur because it makes too much sense. One, allow states to implement the CCSS, the Common Core, um, without simultaneously worrying about a state summative tied to their old standards, which right. is a very, very good point. Um, the more you believe the Common Core can represent real change, the more important this is. Um, this bifurcation of focus will only undermine an optimal implementation of the Common Core. I think that was a really good point. The second one here is allow teachers time to become more familiar with the new curriculum before evaluating them using assessment data. The third point is stretch out the timeline for implementing the new summatives. Uh, there are multiple problems with items, forms, and data that could be mitigated by allowing the timeline to stretch a little longer. Perhaps a longer timeline will actually lead to an assessment worth teaching to, but I doubt that given the restraints of time, money, and technology, um, at least the assessment would be a known quantity and its actual use as an accountability tool can be thoughtfully discussed. Three very, very good points from a researcher that, I mean, I think in a lot of it you've covered, um, but it's really unfortunate that a lot of the things that we know um, to be true about implementing um, tests, about um, the the importance of of the psychometrics in testing, um, we don't give time um, in in our current um, context, whether it's political and people want answers now. Um, and uh, do you see any movement in the in the national discussions? I'm sure there have been a lot of people who have been commenting on this, but do you see any movement where people are saying, yes, this is right, this is what the research, what we know in terms of test creation and psychometrics and, and um, teacher evaluation and implementation, we know that these things are correct. Um, uh, are you seeing any movement there? Well, I, I think practitioners and people on the ground recognize um, how things have to be done to, great, to get great implementation, right? Those closest to the level of implementation need to wrap their arms around the work, understand it, play with it in order to deeply learn it and then be able to teach others. And so, you know, practitioners get that and know they need time um, to be able to learn those things. Unfortunately, there still seems to be a disconnect or a divide between those that are making the policies and then those who are implementing um, the policies on the ground. And I, I would just have to say that your, um, your researcher um, really pointed out uh, something important that right now we are trying to do two things at once. So we're still living in the old system, um, the old state testing system and accountable for that, yet we're trying to prepare and get ahead of the curve for the implementation of the common core state standards. And we all know when we try to do too many things at once, we end up not doing anything well. Uh, very good point. So we're going to try that caller again. We see the callers call back in from 303 Erico. Caller, are you there? Yeah, good afternoon. Is it working this time? It is. Thank you. Um, Great. Th thank you for taking my call. So yeah. the question I want to ask, you know, I've been listening, and you know, um, 
the comments about the rationale behind the moratorium on testing you know, are, are clear and well thought out and make sense. But it's obviously a courageous move, and there's some amount of risk associated with that move for the superintendent. I mean, uh, you know, and the politics behind that. And I understand you may be able to give a limited response, but I'd like to ask kind of what that pushback has looked like, and what plan has been been put in place to to deal with that, and kind of how you see that process looking forward. The, the pushback against the, the superintendent's comments about the moratorium, is that what you mean? Yes. Well, um, I think, uh, as Dr. Perkins has pointed out, there, um, there's, there's been a lot of support for it, um, mm -hmm. but the, um, the pushback has also uh, been things like, oh, well, you, you know, you don't believe in accountability or, you know, you you don't believe in standardized tests, why are you backing away from accountability? And so, you know, the superintendent has been very clear that that's not what he means. He's not against standardized tests. He's not against right. accountability, certainly. And so it requires us here to do a couple of different things. The first is, that, again, you've heard us speak to it, we're required to do multiple things at once. And right. so we're still accountable to the the current system and, um, you know, still use the standardized test data that we get in Maryland as one indicator of student success in our system. But we're clear that it is one piece of data that we use to understand what our students need from us. We also have other measures that we look at, and we, uh, we have something called the Seven Keys in Montgomery County, which is what um, kind of academic measures from kindergarten through 12th grade that students need to be successful. So SAT scores, AP scores, um, IB coursework um, are all part of that continuum. So those are just some other examples of some other measures that we look at to understand our student progress, as well as what's going on in schools, assessments that take place in schools, districts assessments, student work. And so we, um, we continue to be accountable to that, but again, working with our school leaders to help them understand a broader and deeper notion of accountability um, and the use and being able to use multiple measures to understand student needs and what it takes to improve schools. And at the same time, we continue to prepare for the Common Core State Standards. And as I was speaking of before, we're working on fleshing out measures um, for those three competencies for our students, so academic success, 21st century skills, and social-emotional competencies. So trying to stay out ahead of it and, again, build our own robust accountability system to, again, counteract the notion that our superintendent doesn't believe in standardized tests or accountability by demonstrating that we very much believe in it and we're building a robust system on our own. Sure. Thank you for your Great. time. Thank you so much, Carla. Um, and, you know, several of the comments in this um, discussion um, uh, that we've been having online um, start with things like this will never happen, uh, you know, applaud the superintendent, uh, but it'll never happen. Um, uh, this, there have been, a lo there's a lot of, um, I guess, disbelief and, and not a lot of faith in the system um, for doing something like this, even though it makes sense, even the, the last one I read for you. Why do you think there's so much uh, kind of uh, cynicism among um, education policy and researchers uh, about things like this? 
Yeah, I, again, I think it goes back to this um, this disconnect that we see between, again, policy and where policy ma is made and who's making the policy and then the, the practitioners on the ground who implement the policy. And we still haven't been able to bridge that divide and, and make sure policymakers really understand um, what it takes to ensure strong implementation of of good things, you know, we think the Common Core state standards are great, um, and we have great hopes for the park assessments. And so, you know, they're just we haven't been able to bridge that divide um, and help to inform policy that makes sense for practitioners to be able to implement in a smart way. And so it's, you know, our superintendent is a practitioner, really one voice saying, this would make sense for us to do this well and to be even more accountable for our students. You know, we need time to learn how to implement this and to figure this out, but um, we haven't been able to, um, to connect yet to policymakers. Sure, sure, and that's that's a really difficult one. I mean, even among you know policy researchers, the people writing and talking about policy, um, a lot of it does not make its way into the discussion, you know, the boardrooms, and even unfortunately into some of the other uh, very important meeting uh, rooms. Um, but um, we're hopeful that people will listen. Um, Callers, we have uh, just a few more minutes um, to take some calls. Um, again, 347-826-9029. Um, as we wrap up this discussion, we have um, Dr. Beth uh, Narvez, who is with us uh, in the place of Dr. Joshua Starr, uh, superintendent in Montgomery County. Um, uh, Dr. Narvez is the uh, deputy superintendent, and we have really, really enjoyed having you um, today. Um, you know, the the I guess the last question I have um, is about um, the accountability portion to this. I know throughout the show you've you've re uh, iterated that the superintendent is not against um, uh, accountability is is certainly um, interested in doing something meaningful and I think that's really the message here is that um, we can we can push for accountability uh, but um, we want to do it in a way that is responsible but accurate and and the only way it can be accurate is to be fair about where we we have um, teachers and and administrators um, um, being assessed fairly around, around the things that they're doing and if, if there are too many other variables uh, interfering with with the connection to performance, whether it's teacher performance or leadership performance, it's not really a fair assessment. Not to mention the um, the, stu the the real student uh, performance. Um, after all, is this simply an accountability measure, or is the notion uh, something that we haven't mentioned uh, about improving student achievement? And so, I just want you to make that connection because I would hate for us to leave without kind of what's at the bottom of all of this is yeah. the student achievement Yeah, thank achievement you for portion. that. And mm -hmm. um, I, 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 the, the bottom of it, right, is, is what does it really take to improve our schools and to improve student achievement? And we believe that internal accountability where school leaders, um, our principals, other administrators, teacher leaders, 
all of the adults in the building take collective responsibility for the learning of all children. Um, they are collaborating to determine their student needs, um, again, by starting with what students are able to produce that student work, um, making decisions about um, the rigor of instruction based on student work. We feel like um, that kind of system where um, people are, are working on their own kinds of internal accountability, they're looking at student work, they look at the quality of teaching practice, they pay attention to make sure that they have a high-functioning leadership team in the system. A lot of this collaborative, kind of organic, complex work um, is at the root of system improvement, making sure you have a positive school culture, um, making sure that your school is a great place to work and that kids want to come to school every day, attending to strong implementation for teaching and learning initiatives. These are all at the heart of strong school improvement. And it, it gets back to your previous question, you know, why are isn't this really gaining traction? It seems to make sense to say give people time to learn these new things so they have a chance of implementing them well, but what it really takes to improve schools is not glamorous. It doesn't sound good in a, in a, in a quick sound bite. Um, it just takes the hard work of the people in the schoolhouse really rolling up their sleeves, working together um, to just take a look at their practice so that we can get the best outcomes for kids. Excellent. I think well stated. And with that, um, I'd just like to really thank you for being able to jump in here and and um, and and take the the questions we had on such short notice um, and be able to respond completely and thoughtfully. So, um, Dr. Navez, you have been a great uh, guest on the show, and um, we, we really appreciate your time. Um, to the listeners, I um, just want to invite you back. Uh, next month, um, we have a really exciting show um, entitled Inspiring High Intellectual Performance in Urban Schools. We have uh, Drs. Yvette Jackson and Veronica McDermott. Um, they're authors of Aim High, Achieve More, How to Transform Urban Schools Through Fearless Leadership. They will be on the show next month. Dr. Yvette Jackson is the author of a uh, uh, nominated uh, well uh, nominated book award um, um, titled Pedagogy of Confidence. And so she will be with us along with Dr. Veronica McDermott next month. The show is on February 20th, um, and it's the same time at 2 o'clock p.m. And so we've had a great discussion today. Uh, again, Dr. Narvez, um, welcome back anytime. We appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck in everything that you're doing there uh, for children um, in Montgomery County. And so to my listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.